This is Women Who Build Empires, a podcast celebrating women entrepreneurs and thought leaders who are turning the tables on outdated old school belief systems and building business empires that align with who they are, how they work, and how they are leaving a lasting legacy. And I'm your host, Emmy Kirshner, serial entrepreneur, investor, and business consultant for ambitious women entrepreneurs who are boldly taking their business to the next level. In each episode, you're going to get to know the women who are unafraid to put it all on the line as they share the stories of how both success and failure have helped them become incredible CEOs. Hey, Empresses, I am so super excited to bring this episode with you. It's um, a two-part series, so obviously today is part one. Next week will be part two, and my conversation with Gwen Nolan, who is the founder of Mother Compost, really brought back and brought out my love, one for farming, um, and my inner farmer, and also all things sustainable and environmentally friendly. We talk about in this episode um, why she founded her business, how she founded her business, how she's been growing, and sustainability in general, and that little things can make a huge difference. Next episode, we're going to talk about how she scaled the business and um, logistics because her business is so much more than just picking up food scraps and turning it into uh, compost and being able to return that to her subscribers. So I hope you love this episode as much as I do. Hi, Gwen. I'm so excited to have you on Women Who Build Empires. I've been waiting all week to talk to you when we were introduced by our mutual friend, um, Sherry Andrews. I am like a closeted, crunchy, hippie, granola person who also really loves fashion and girl things so right I don't think a lot of people know but welcome um there's so many things we can talk about so let's let's just dive in and um share with everybody a little bit about who you are and your business mother compost absolutely well I'm so excited to be here Emmy I'm also excited to to get into it and and even talk about that idea of the stereotypical, you know, crunchy versus, but I love fashion and and cleanness and and all these things that, you know, we don't have to be just one narrow scope. Um, I was reading Untamed over, I was on a yoga retreat and, you know, what she talked about, she was talking about sexuality, but like how we pour our juicy cells into these glasses, right? And that narrows who we can be. And that's how we define ourselves. But really, we're fluid. We're like water. We can be all the things. So uh, hello, everyone. I'm Gwen Nolan. I am the founder of Mother Compost. We are a composting organization serving the suburban Philadelphia area today. And um, I'm someone who had a financial services background and really took a hard left about four years ago and started the company a passion project and side hustle, really just looking at a need I saw both within myself and in the community. And I bought a small pickup truck and started picking up food scraps from 10 people I had asked to be my focus group. And from there, one whose children were addicted to smoothies said, I need you to do this. I'm not going back. And uh, that's how we started. So 
been an interesting journey. There are now eight people who work with me at the organization. We serve about 1,300 residential, 1,350 residential households and about 15 businesses today. So we are growing along with the composting movement and um, so excited to talk about all the things today. What blows my mind is that you did this at like two o'clock in the morning. I know. Because <laughs> I'm like such a sleep person. You know, I can do one night of like not great sleep, but two, and then I'm like useless. I'm the same. I have to say, like looking back on it, I can't believe I did it. I can't believe I am like in bed at 930 every night, like one night. Yeah. Like I, I'm totally princess in the pee about my. But at the time, I just had my third baby. So I think my sleep, I hadn't had, and you know, I had two other kids. Yeah. Sleep was not something that was like normal in my life at that moment anyway. But I really, you know, the the energy that came from finally doing something that taking action in some real way to battle kind of my concern for the world and just show up in a way that I felt powerfully about gave me energy. I, there was no way I could have sustained it. Um, and I knew that going in, but that first year, and it was, again, it was every other week starting out. So I would have like, like one day that was long and then recover. And then it was two days and then it was three days. And, you know, I kind of grew over time, but right. um, looking back, even my first hire, I mean, one, at one point, she would meet me at my house at like 9.30 and we would go out. Then I would like- At night. At night, yeah. At 9.30 at night, not the morning. That was the only way to get it done was for me to work all night so that I could go to my job in the day, which, you know, we don't we don't roll like that anymore. But I would like drop her off at a well-lit 24-hour gym and then she would go home, I'd finish. And it was wild. And it's wild now to see kind of where we are today that- you know, we don't, we're way, we're very buttoned up anymore about like making sure we're starting at the appropriate times and driver safety. But back then it was just, we want to do something, let's do it. And um, we didn't really overthink much. So. Yeah. Like take me through your thought process of you have three kids, you're making smoothies, you have all the usual food waste, food scraps from smoothie making, um, particularly with like pineapples and other fruits and yeah, just there's more to let me gather 10 of my friends and see if I can make compost. It's hard for me to actually plot this line because it was not, <laughs> you know, the path of true love is never straight at me, but it's funny. So actually I have a draft of my original business plan was written in 2017 when I was pregnant. Um, so this idea kicked around in my brain and I think it was the fact that I, I just kept coming back to it and it kept calling me. That was what ultimately made me, I was like, well, what's the worst that can happen? It was a terrible idea and I stopped, you know, like it's not, that's not, you know, I can live with that. Right. But I don't know if I can live with not doing it. So really what my kids just don't, they didn't eat any, I was throwing away so much food. And to be honest, like, you know, kids come with all this stuff and we just all of a sudden have this influx of waste that was really bothering me. Um, and, and 
food in particular because you're fear you know you're spending the money you're cooking it and then it's like literally going right out the door into the trash and then as i started to explore i just you know fell down that wormhole of where does our trash go and how much trash are we creating and I was like, truly this is madness yeah um, this you know and composting is just such a simple way to start to to stop this cycle and then I, again, I was expecting, so I just started composting at home. But, you know, it was winter. So winter is a really hard time in the Northeast to be running a compost pile. You're working against the weather outside. Um, it's dark all the time. dark all the time. It, I was like, one point, I was like eight months pregnant out there trying to turn, like, should I be turning it? I don't even know. And I, I really was like, you know what? I'm feeling so passionate about this that I'm willing to be out here. But like most people are not. They're just not going to do it. And and for composting to go, and it must, we must accept that we have to change the way we do things in order to protect this place we call home and start to live in different ways. But it needs to be easy because I was a you know mom. I had two and one on the way. I had a full-time job. I had a husband. I had a house. These are all things that are constantly shooting all over me, right? Things that I need to be doing. So mm-hmm. a compost pile in that moment was just another thing for me to feel oh, bad that I was not doing properly, right? Right. right. Uh, like it's, I think whether you are a stay-at-home mom or you're working part-time or you're working full-time and momming, there's always some mom guilt somewhere that you're not doing enough and I mean, one, I think there's a place for us to all let go of of some of that because we're doing the best we can in any given moment. And there's a lot of things I know that were important to me that I didn't do because I like there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, if you don't have kids at home as women, and this is a generalization, so it's not true in every circumstance, but we take on a lot of caretaking responsibilities in a lot of areas of our life. And it's a lot of weight. And I, I think that sometimes, you know, something's got to give. And sometimes you're like, I see this problem, but I just can't deal with it right now because it's so big. What's my one little thing going to really do? And that's real. But you know, my brain, I was like, if we can make it easy, I really think there's enough people just like me who are like, I really do want to do this, but I, I just need it to be really simple. And if it's affordable, you know, like in this area, we're, we're currently priced at $20 a month for one container. People are spending that on a honey grow salad, you know, like that is not an unapproachable right. and that way more people can do it. Right. It's very accessible, which is important to me too, you know, to create an infrastructure that people really can plug into. Um, Right, right. Because that just makes it easier, right? This isn't a strain on me. Um, And that's not to say that people don't have to make hard choices sometimes. And sometimes the composting service has to go. And I, you know, recognize that is real too. But uh, my goal was to, how do we design a service that is, that makes it really easy. So the only work is the sorting that you have to do at home because that's a job and you may have some other people and, and take it on. But once it gets in that bucket, we're going to take care. Like you get it to the curb, we'll take care of it. We'll clean it. We will send you a reminder the night before. 
We'll let you notify you once it's clean. So if you have a long driveway, you don't walk down there until we're gone. You know, all of these little things that, you know, I, I want people to see us as we're, we're thinking of you. We saw this and we're addressing it on your behalf. So we'll sometimes have like rodent issues, but if you spray bitter apple spray on the lid, it'll keep them out. So we'll send them a notification like you sprayed, hopefully you won't need a new lid, but if you do, everyone gets a free replacement once a year if they, if they need it. So to try, you know, who's thinking of you? You know, like that's the other thing. Like we, we care about you. We want your experience to be wonderful. We want this to be your favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. So for people who aren't familiar with composting, what can you compost and what can you not? So it depends a lot what type of composting you're doing. So if you're using a service, they're normally taking almost always to a commercial facility, in which case you can compost pretty much any organic material. So not just fruits and veggies, but and like peels, seeds, but um, depending on it, da like dairy, high fat content food, baked goods, bread, there's like a whole host of, of things you don't think of, but that's the, those are the, that's the meat of it. Um, mm -hmm. Meat, fish, depends on the site that you're, you're going to and also the frequency of your collections. For example, we don't, we ask people not to put it in their residential containers because we're every other week and you will see Smells are great. We'll get wild. And so will the furry friends activity. So, um, but our commercial, we do accept, our pile can accept those materials. Okay. Um, in your backyard, you need to be a lot more strategic about what you put in there. And it's based on the temperatures that you're achieving. You don't want anything that's cooked ever. So like if you steamed broccoli, it's completely compostable commercially, but you really want to be careful putting it in your backyard because they like to cook food too, uh, you know, mice and squirrel, just like we do. So, um, in the backyard is really a, an experiment by experiment. Depends on the type of materials. Depends on how much carbon you're putting in. Uh, but composting itself is the act of taking nitrogen-rich materials, which is typically what comes out of our kitchens, combining it with carbon-rich materials, which are leaves and and woody materials. And then usually at a three to one ratio and then over time adding water and air and in about a month it will transform into compost which is mm -hmm. a nutrient rich soil amendment that can be used back on land as um, similar to a fertilizer but it's not a fertilizer it's a soil amendment so the difference between compost and and fertilizers is that fertilizers feed your plants compost feeds the soil that is the best way to describe it perfect because that was my next question was how compost impacts the soil and it really i mean i think one of the things that people don't know and don't think about is that soil is actually a living organism or you know, organism so it's not just this thing that's laying there on the ground and gets under your fingernails and can be uncomfortable but there's all sorts of living microbes. Teeming with life. Healthy soil is teeming with life. And when you're using chemicals, and I'm going to also include, so correct me if I'm wrong, um, artificial fertilizers, I'm air quoting, like it doesn't do anything for the soil. It can actually be detrimental to the soil and kills those microbes. That's right. Um, so there's an ecosystem underneath our feet in which the organisms in the soil help feed the plant. 
and sequester carbon and, and do amazing things. There's a fact that, you know, one teaspoon of healthy soil has more organisms in it than people living currently on the planet. That's how much is happening underneath our feet. Um, and yeah, synthetic fertilizers have shown over time to deplete the soil of these natural organisms. Um, so what happens is you have to have more. You have to add more and more and more. So if you look at the inputs in agriculture from like the 1970s to now it, as like a heat map, it mm -hmm. explodes. And then those those fertilizers find their way into our waterways. They can they kill off algae and different things that, again, those are all ecosystems that have existed um, that we destroy because of some our methodology. Um, so there's a whole regenerative far farming movement as well, but um, and composting is just one piece of that puzzle. But yes, the, the moving away from synthetic fertilizers and using natural soil amendments is is a huge part of how we rebuild our soil structure. And even if you're kind of you're like I'm, I work in an office, I live in a city, what you know, um, we're all reliant on this land to feed us, and what is in the soil is what is in our food. So it's also a human health crisis, the, the depletion of nutrients in our food and also the input of chemicals. We're just starting to understand how this affects our body, how this affects okay. the microbiome. So sometimes I, I, I plead on people's self-interest, but it's real. You know, do you, do you want to, you know, we're going to continue to experience more and more health issues um, if we don't have food that's grown in good soil. Right, right. Well, and I mean, we're recording this right after the Canadian wildf wildfires and all of that smog and smoke and um, really affected a huge part of the East Coast, along with, I presume, everybody in Canada. Um, I know, I think it was 20 or 30,000 um, people had to evacuate in, in Canada. And... Oh, I can't even imagine what it was like there. I mean, it was yeah. near Philadelphia. It was, we got to Maroon one day. Um, last Thursday, basically yeah. like not safe to be outside. Well, and, and even I mean, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it was the the sky was not right. No, yeah, no, it was right like the end, and we had poor air quality um, alerts. Not obviously to the significance that you did, or people in New York and farther north, but like we're starting to see these occurrences that are you know, things that have never happened before are much, much worse than what we've experienced in any recorded history. And it's all part of us not being good stewards of the land and thinking that we operate in this container of, of like just humans and not thinking about everything else. Like we all integrate and I'm going to be soapboxy for a minute because yeah. it's something that I really care about for, for decades. Um, but I mean, we all work together, the little microbes, us, the birds, the trees, and we would be healthier if we were more aware of what was going on around us and what we're bringing into and out of our homes. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, when you think about it, we're one species out of 8.7 million on the planet. We only know about 12% of what actually lives here. And we have an outsized impact on what happens. And these 
these climate catastrophes, they don't they don't care about state lines or or country borders. You know, none of that actually matters in a natural disaster. There's so many things that not that state lines aren't real, but these are these are things that we have created and systems okay. we have created, but they're not not actually a wall between any of it. So to that, to the more we can work together, um, unified, the better. Because if it's something that happens as a disaster here in Pennsylvania isn't just going to affect the people who live here. It's going to have impacts. And the all the waterways, you know, they feed into right. multiple states. It's it's looking at things from a macro perspective. Right. Well, and I mean, as we poison waterways, fish and other microorganisms and and just other wildlife that live there are either contaminated or die, which then impacts us somewhere else. Exactly. It's all connected. Yeah. Yeah. So we started to talk about this before um, we started recording too about just trash in general and part of being able to compost um, is you're, you're taking garbage out of the trash system uh, and obviously reutilizing it with the the compost. But where does trash go? How is it treated? Yeah, so trash is an, an enormous problem here in the United States um, and, and a lot of developed countries, right? But we have a, ours is one of the, one of the larger ones. Um, so rough estimate, we throw away about 292 million tons a year of trash. And 22% of that is food. So that's the largest single category item that we throw away, 108 billion pounds a year. So here in the United States, we throw away 40% of our food supply annually, yeah. which, I mean, the, the amount of waste in that one fact, right? Not only the food itself, but the water used to grow it, the land, 80% of our fresh water is used for agricultural purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and most likely we will be in some sort of water crisis within the next 10 to 20 years of fresh water availability. Land, half of, of arable land is used for agricultural purposes. So all of these, the energy, the labor, the transportation, the refrigeration, um, and then we throw half of it out, put it, put it in the trash. Um, so... You are starting to see the USDA has has poured tons of grant funding into food recovery and and rescue efforts. You know, obviously, the highest and best use of edible food is to get it to people who are hungry. Right. Uh, composting is sort of like on the tail end of that, but still better than a landfill right. or incinerator where most other trash goes. So I apologize, I should have checked. I'm not sure where the majority of trash in Charlotte goes. Here in Pennsylvania, um, specifically in the Philadelphia area, a lot of trash is incinerated. Um, and food waste is not a good candidate for incineration. Most of these facilities call themselves waste to energy. So they capture energy through the burning process that goes into the grid. However, it takes so much energy to light food waste on fire. It's very wet, right? Mm -hmm. That usually it's it's not a good candidate for incineration um, and incineration has a ton of like a terrible history and present of negatively impacting those who live near those facilities, the air quality, um, water, 
And, you know, the, the asthma rate here in Philadelphia, I think, is like four times higher than the national average um, in certain areas. So the impacts of incineration are very, very serious, but landfilling is becoming extremely expensive as we run space. So a lot of people think of landfill as like, oh, that's where they process trash. But no trash gets processed. It's just stored. So they line a big hole with a plastic liner to keep leachate, which is the wastewater that comes from trash, from leaking into the groundwater. And then they fill it and then they seal it every day or so with another layer of plastic and some dirt to compact it. And they're compacting it all the time. They have these huge machines, million dollar machines that roll across with these studded wheels. I actually went to a landfill two weeks ago to compact everything down, right? To maximize the space. Um, but what happens, so most people are like, well, my food goes there. It's still going in the ground and it'll just biodegrade naturally. But you're, you're eliminating oxygen from the environment. So instead, organic materials go through anaerobic digestion, which, which, um, leads to methane emissions, which our landfills, you know, if landfill emissions were a country, our landfills would be the third largest. It's like the U.S., China, and all of our landfills or something. It's crazy. The other benefit of composting is if you take out all of that organic material from landfills, there will not be as much methane being emitted. And even though they try to, they do pipe it and try to put it again, convert it into energy, there are times when that energy is, they don't need it. So like, say it's going to a business that's closed for Memorial Day. They don't have their lights on. So then they have to flare it, which means they send it up into the sky and burn it. Um, and methane is a, is a powerful greenhouse gas. It's 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide. Um, it doesn't stay in the atmosphere as long, but it does more damage for the time that it exists. Right. Right. Like I, I don't remember what I was listening to or who, but the snippet that I kind of filed away in my brain was that meth- we we have a carbon problem, but we really have a methane problem that nobody's addressing. Yeah, I, I, I just, I think um, whenever the greenhouse gas crisis, you know, carbon dioxide was what got fixated on, but yeah, there's, there is, there's, I think there's loads of other gases that contribute to the overall greenhouse effect and methane right. But specifically methane from our trash is one of our biggest areas. So this is to me where even if I like jump back in my time machine to when I was thinking of this, I was like, well, this, this is like low hanging fruit. If we just take the organic material out of the waste stream and recycle it into something that's actually beneficial to the soil and compost has a laundry list of benefits for soil from an application standpoint. It mm-hmm. can retain 30% or 30 times more water than just regular soil. So it's good in stormwater management. It can filter out pollutants incredibly effectively. It can help with carbon sequestration. So sucking the carbon dioxide actually out of our atmosphere. All, and all healthy soils can store it because that's what mm-hmm. our plants eat. The, there's, a, there's a whole laundry list of, of benefits to comp- to the use of compost. At, at the time, I was like, well, this is just simple. I am not a scientist, and there is a limit to what I can contribute to actively fighting climate change. And I was like, but this is logistics. This I can figure out. This is just keeping it out of there and getting it here. 
Right now, that that was my speed. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you've been really successful because you've grown tremendously over the last four years. Yeah, no, it's it's been amazing. And, and I think, you know, I think composting also has this amazing ability to make you pause, right? That 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 minute where you sort and you're like, okay, where's this go? But it creates this awareness around trash that's really a, a great entry point into that zero waste. I think zero waste is really intimidating from a con- conceptual standpoint for most people mm-hmm. because the world we live in is just full of waste everywhere you go. And right. when you start composting, you're like, oh, well, right, so that's going there. And this is what's in my recycling. Like, what is, what's my trash now? What is it? And a lot of times it's packaging, right? Just like, right. Burps. Things that are wrapped that don't need to be wrapped at all. Like, so annoying. It's crazy. So, um, so I feel like it's, it's something that's like a brochure. It's a good way to walk into that space. And then you can start to be like, all right, well, maybe I can find a way to refill my laundry jugs or whatever, look at alternatives. And there are so many amazing options like coming to market, I think. Um, so I, I I love that about composting. I think it's like a great, a great way to create awareness around the things mm-hmm. we waste and the things we consume. Um, yeah. Which is a huge part of the work that we all need to do. Yeah. Um, I mean, as I said, again, before we started recording was like, I'm very aware of what I bring in to my house and try to look for things that don't have packaging. And, you know, I've got bags that I bring um, and use most of the time. Sometimes I forget them, but I also don't like even at the grocery store, I don't put stuff in a gajillion bags. I just wash them when I get home. Yeah. It's right. Those just the little things and you and you really just start to see a different. Honestly, the hardest thing I have found is the saying no. You know how many times you were like, oh, here's a free. And I'm like, I, I really I don't need it. Like, I, I, yeah. I don't No, Thank you. You know, and people are like, what? You know, we love free stuff more than anything. I, I don't I know. But I've met. I have people who like you go to the shows or the whatever and they're grabbing all the free stuff and I'm like what are you going to do with it and they're like I don't know nothing you're gonna just they take it all and then they save it yeah and then you and then you're getting a storage unit to store all of your stuff that you don't even you know it's it's we have a pack rabbit tendency in us that is that's very interesting and um I was driving with one of our drivers and I love to um you know we're training new people to spend time with them. You know, being out there doing a very somewhat simple physical job is a great way to, I don't know, you know how when you're, you just spin out, right? You just have hours to kind of converse and, and get to know somebody. And I remember um, Jacob, who currently runs our customer service, he was like, you know, we're the only beings that create trash on the planet. And I was like, yeah, yeah. No, I know that, right? I know that here. When I really, I'm pointing to my head, but like when I really let that like sink into my chest a little bit, you're like, so we, this problem of trash is, is, is purely created by us, right? We're the only ones with things, with stuff. We need all these accoutrements to the world. Um, every other species is, you know, leaves not, leaves no trace. I think that's just very like, and then this is how big our problem is and growing like the, the 2.20, 20, 
292.2 million ton. That number's from 2018. So I guarantee you when the new numbers are published, it's up there. Mm-hmm. We've got 2020. I mean, trash. <laughs> so those that's billions and billions of pounds that we're just pouring in a hole. We're lighting on fire. For what? What are what? Are, what are we doing? Um, yeah. So that those are those are, <laughs> those are the things that keep me up that night. I understand. <laughs> I have similar things. Um, do you have suggestions on how people can reduce trash outside of food scraps? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's the, the, the simplest things that people have all heard before, right? Like, get, have your own water bottle. If turning down free samples and, and just, like, nonsense. Um, if there are, like... Um, Trying, I'm thinking of the names of places near us, like Goodbye Supply and Mainline Ship, but refilleries where you can go and refill containers or bring your own containers. Um, I think that's, you know, it, it just all requires a little bit of foresight and planning. And I think that that little extra bit can be a lot. Um, bringing your own lunch and um, these little things, they save you money too, which is the wildest thing. Um is if you actually it, it's usually not why people are doing it but that is another benefit um and then really like before you buy something like do i need it what what, what like what is what am i buying this for uh, mm-hmm. the hardest part i think is the social and societal pressure we feel um when we have an event at our home or we have um I just there's so many instances where it's really the the feeling I get from the outside that causes me to kind of like go back into the quote unquote normal path. Whereas in my daily operations, I don't need any of it. I don't feel that pressure. Um, you know, like I'm, my daughter had a communion. My brother, you know, do should we get balloons? And I'm like, no, like no, I don't need balloons. I, my kids love balloons. And you've never seen children who attack snack bags the way my kids do. Because I refuse to buy them. Oh, do they love right. those little chip bags when they see them in another house? Yeah. No, my kids are galloping consumers, which again, you're like, we just come out of the gate and we're like, more, more. I need more stuff. And I, I it's interesting. But I, I wonder if what we need more of is like space and time and and things outdoors and you know there's a hole we keep trying to fill with stuff and I, I don't think it's working for us it's not like I mean it's everywhere I read both from high school kids from young adults um people in their 30s and 40s all I hear about is overwhelm burnout mental health anxiety I so clearly what we're doing is not working and I mean, for me, and believe me, I can get into, you know, I, I want and need this thing, need, I'm air quoting this thing as much as anybody else. So don't anybody think that I've got it all figured out, no, but it, I do. Yeah, like hardwired somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like I leave things in my shopping cart, cart online now and I'm like, I'll wait 24 hours. And sometimes- That's Another that- great tip. Like it usually, if you're like, let me think about it, 
Yeah. So you're like, actually, I don't need it. Actually, I have three dresses just like it at home. And I feel better frequently than if I actually bought the thing. Um, But yeah, going outside and putting your feet in some grass or dirt or bark mulch or sand or whatever works for you and spending time with each other for me is, and having space, like just space in your house that isn't cluttered with a ton of stuff allows more creativity more interaction, better relationships. And if we were really focused on creating communities of like small little groups of communities, like things were several hundred years ago, I think we'd all be a lot happier. I know. I think that too. I think in particular, I I think women, you know, right? Like I, I have a group chat with my friend. I'm like, it's crazy that we're all doing, like we're all grocery shopping. We're all making dinner tonight. We're all like doing all that we could just pull it together yeah you know i'm good to do dinner once every two weeks this every night thing is brutal right and i want to eat well i do i do and i'm not like it's like good ingredients i'll eat anyway like i just don't want to have to run and b&b every day and starts to be what like what you feel like um and this is no like my husband you know but we each do two a week and they're like oh my gosh yeah I, i agree i think there's you know, those are the hard thing is that these are big systems, right? Like consumerism is the basis of our economy. You know, so is the housing market. Like there's so many, there's so many intricacies involved in those ecosystems that have to change. They have to change with intention, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so that we don't go extremely in another direction and experience a detrimental economic collapse, which will impact the very communities that we're also trying to support um, and and all of us, right? Um, yeah. But it's, and that's, again, these are when you're like, wow, this problem's so big, I'm completely intimidated and overwhelmed by even it conceptually. I'm going to retreat and watch some HGTV where the world makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, composting, just like this, here's something small. Here's something you can do. And if you do it and I do it and the person across the street, do it, if we all do it, it will really help. Yeah. That, that we can all get our brains around, right? Like, and that I think is, um, again, why I'm so passionate about the work that we do. And, and here, you know, it's creating jobs. As we grow, we'll continue to create jobs and that mm-hmm. creates new new economies and new ways, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's important. You know, the, the jobs of the future don't exist yet. Um, and that's because we still haven't designed the, the society to come. Mm-hmm. Well, and I don't think we're being intentional about it. It's, we live in a very re- reactive uh, world. It's like, we need oh, to how do- we get here? Yeah, right. Well, and it's, it's hard. It's even like, you know, how did you get here from the story of Mother Compost? It all looks linear and it all makes sense now. But at the time, it was, you know, it wasn't well thought out and it was doing these little things. Like I bought the domain name before I ever told anyone that I was doing this business. Like I may, have, you know, like there was so many little things that I saw after the fact that I was like, oh, you were, you were doing this. But you hadn't really admitted it to yourself that you were, right? you know, so right. 
I, I do think there are a lot of things happening right now. It's so easy to get negative, but when you start to see the work that is being done, um, it's about how we build connective tissue through all of the good work that's happening um, that I think, you know, then we'll start to see like a force for positive change. Um, yeah. and, and it's important that we listen, right? Because I'm seeing things from my perspective, from, you know, the viewpoint I have, but I I don't know everything there is to know about really anything at all. And, you know, they're getting that that feedback as, as the composting industry grows. For example, you can tell from the debacle of recycling that standardization of materials that are accepted over um, either states or like mo will create better adoption and less contamination rates, right? If every if, if what you put in your bucket at home is the same as what you can compost at your business once your business is compost. Um, but today it's based on the facility that whoever's hauling that materials brings it to and what they accept, which is the challenge of recycling. It's the same problem. So how do we create standards that benefit both sides, right? Because then education right. can really move in lockstep versus I have to educate on what we can accept because this is who we partner with to process. Right. Someone who's operating in Charlotte has a totally different mandate, different processing. Mm -hmm. So that we end up yeah. having to do our individual efforts instead of being able to kind of move forward as one. Exactly. And what, like, I think I shared with you, my sister and her family compost. Um, they have a service that picks it up. And what they accept will be different than it can be. Yeah. And it, can, yeah. it can it can it just depends. Even like there's a service operating in Philadelphia that takes which doesn't take things that we accept and by sort like it's it's very it's based on where it's being processed. Right. So in terms of an industry that's a challenge that we're going to have to address. There's a proliferation of compostable products, some of which are accepted at certain facilities, not like some that no facility would ever want because yeah. it's actually just a bioplastic that they're calling biodegradable and people are confused. So again, it makes it tricky for consumers and anything that creates consumer confusion leads to contamination and lower rates of effective recycling or food how can listeners start to get more education because for me like we can't rely on anybody else to fix climate change like it really has to just come from us like the government is not going to create regulations that actually do anything anytime in the near future if they were going to they would all sit down together and figure it out and they're not and I'm sure people will disagree with me on on that, and that's okay. We can have a conversation about it. It you're right. Like if everybody has different regulations, everybody's doing whether it's composting or recycling or something else. How can we get start educating ourselves um, so that we can do one step at least that will contribute to just a healthier planet in general. A lot of thoughts on that. Um, and yes, I mean, the government, it's, it's just an enormous organization, right? And big, or we all know big organizations move slow. They cannot move at the rate of change that we're seeing. So 
it's almost not even reasonable to expect government's going to come when we have decided that this is important. That's when mm-hmm. government will respond to the people's outcry. So it's about making that known in whatever way. I think for people, there's there's a lot, right? Composting was kind of where I, my sandbag against this tsunami, but everyone I believe has something that bothers them or they're incredibly passionate about and I encourage people follow your curiosity um, follow the thing that you're like oh this really this bothers me I don't like to see this I want to see this change what what does this look like and I, I think there's something that calls to all of us so I would encourage you to kind of you know Alice your way down that rabbit hole and see where you end up you know and, and take action that you feel very passionate about because that means you're going to stick with it that means you're going to tell people about it um, and that means when it's time to vote, which we all need to be doing on a regular basis and not just big elections, but small, ele- you know, your local elections matter a lot. You're going to show up because you want to know how where they stand on the issue that is near and dear to your heart. To me, it's about finding the thing that you're most passionate about it's because climate change has, there's just so many moving parts and we need advocates for all of them. And if, I think if you can just pick something small just and focus there, the rest will, you know, you'll bloom from there. Um, and, and then also, if you have the, the talent and the appetite, maybe consider running for local office. You know, there's a lot of where we are, they call them environmental action committees at each of these townships. And they help to promote sustainable activities within the area where people live and whether that's composting or plastic uh, bag bans or rainwater harvesting or you know there's lots of different things um, tree, shade tree planting those are usually volunteer positions and those people donate of themselves to help bring these these initiatives to the community um, and it's you know Local leadership can be a thankless job, but it's, again, really, really important because that's how the will of the people gets filtered up a lot of the time. And so I I think voting and perhaps even getting involved in your local municipality is another really powerful way that people can boots on the ground impact where they live and, and the world. Yeah, and it only takes one person to make change. It, it t- totally. And, and not only that, you have no idea the impact that you have on the people around you when you show up. Like When you really embody something, everyone feels it. Everyone can see it. It changes the way they look at the world because they can't help it. Um, right. You know, my kids, they love those damn snack bags. But they know how important this is to me. And and they know that I'm doing this in part for them. That this is this is me, this is my show up. You know, my challenge to myself, my really like the deep why in my belly is that when I started and I looked at my my five and three and baby, and I'm terrified of the world that we're just going to hand over to them, these huge problems that we're just gonna be like, whew. We didn't start the fire. Here's the Billy Joel song. And like, yeah, sorry about that. Um, And they're going to say, like, why didn't you do it? You knew. You had the iceberg warning right in your hands. And you guys just. Yeah. 
zoned out on Instagram. And I really, I cannot accept that. So my message to them has to be, guys, I did everything I could think of. I, I really, I tried. It may not have been the right, my action may not have been like well, well thought out. Like I, I may have made a hundred mistakes and I'm certain I will, but I try everything I could to save our home, to protect your future, to show up for my life and for yours. And, and that's still my challenge to myself when I get scared and like, I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to make that call. It's like, did you try everything? Did you do it? (laughs) And, you know, and it, it helps too, because when you're like, well, faced with the insurmountable, like thing that is climate change and, and what's happening to the planet, making that phone call no longer seems terrifying. Exactly. So, sorry, really, I, I took it in a two. Oh, no, no, good. You're good. I'm right there with you. There's so many things I want to say and we're out of time, which is a bummer. So I'm going to have to have you back on the show so we can do part two. Because I, I want to dive into like your logistics and challenges and and yeah, we could spend an hour there for sure. <laughs> well, and there's so much to be gained from that, right? Because everybody has logistic challenges at some point, even if you have online services. Um, I know you have a growth trajectory and and some long term plans that would be super fun to get into. So yep. stay tuned, people. Yeah, come back, come back for more. <laughs> I want to thank you one, because this is, as I said, really important to me. And there have been a number of instances in my life where I have made change for a few people who have then made change for other people who have then made change for other people. And I really believe that's how we can accomplish great things. So I'm honored to have you on and it's been fun. Yeah, no, this is such a pleasure, and I could I could do this all day. So it's it's going to have to cut off, but yeah. I'd be happy to come back to talk brass tacks and really get under the hood of mother compost with you. And awesome, yeah. yo, let's do it. And before I forget, to where can people connect with you? Um, in yeah, the- absolutely. So mothercompost.com is our website. Um, we're Mother Compost on Instagram. We have some really fun videos there. We try to educate on all kinds of things and also just entertain ourselves at times. And same on Facebook and uh, the same on TikTok. So far, we've been able to claim all the domain names. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, that's how you can interact with us, especially if you're not in the suburban Philadelphia area, pinpoint where we're, where we're operating. Um, yeah. But I would also encourage people to look, if they're looking for a service, there is a growing community composter movement throughout the country. And, you know, not only would you be making a really important change at your home, but also supporting a lot of local doers who have their boots on the ground to create composting infrastructure where you live. Um, you know, I certainly encourage you if you're interested to check it out. It's usually affordable and um Again, you're you're supporting kind of a local business here as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Emery. It's my hope that you find at least one nugget of value in each episode of Women Who Build Empires. And if that's true, please follow and share Women Who Build Empires with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcast. Your support 
is what will help this podcast be found by more women just like you. 